Yes, yes. Um, today is just a great day, and um, we're doing this from home. So in the background, I am so sorry. I'm getting ready to text him right now and tell him to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so our apologies for being unexpectedly off air, but you know, like other kind of broadcasters, we had issues because of COVID, but we are back. Very happy to be back. We've really missed you guys. Yeah, I have. I, you know, the other day I got on Facebook and did a video, a face of video, just because because I miss people, and I was just like, I'm tired of the same folks looking at the same folks and everything. And then also, um, my daughter and my niece, thank God, they didn't have the coronavirus, but they did have a actual um, really bad virus and they were very, very sick and I had to take care of them. So, yeah, that was another thing. Which, very happy that they're on the mend. So today we are joined by two of our cousins. We all share Edgefield, South Carolina roots. So Loretta uh, Bellamy is back with us again. So happy to see you again, Loretta. And we're also joined by Hamad Settles Assad. How you guys? And today we are going to be talking about how you handle what I call sensitive information on your family tree. So it could be anything from murder, death, kill, bigamy, um, incest, whatever. <laughs> all the thing, all the things that kind of gave our older generations the heebie-jeebies, and they didn't like talking about all that stuff that we're kind of <laughs> that we're uncovering and finding out. What? Yes, we are. That's what we're doing today. <laughs> so I'm going to say, I'm going to lead it by saying that even though this relate, this conversation is not like um, totally centered on Edgefield, individually and together, the four of us plus our extended research team, we have found every kind of shady, sensitive, uncomfortable kind of story and history coming out of Edgefield. I think that's humanly possible to get yeah, yeah, we have. We really have. <laughs> yes, we. <laughs> yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, we yes, can hear you. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, again, I'm thinking about even some shows that we've had um, where I've been hesitant to name people on air that are ancestral cousins or our ancestors because some of the stories are a little bit. I could see where some of their descendants might feel a certain kind of way having like certain family histories broadcast. Um, for instance, Donnie Loretta and I spent about two days trying to work out the multiple relationships and or marriages of one woman in particular that just gave us gray hairs. Um, Cause you know every sentence, I'm not saying her name, but uh, every sentence. Oh God. <laughs> you every but remember, every every single census, there were more kids who had different last names than the previous batch of kids. And it did. It took us, you know, and I'm only bringing it up not to say anything about her, but to say that from a research perspective, it really caused us some, some challenges because we just, it took us at least a half a day just to work out what was going on or what we thought was going on. That until was a three-day problem. Yeah. yeah. And if it weren't yeah. for us, even the obituaries didn't clear it up because everyone's claiming everybody as their full sibling, but they were all, you know, yeah. 
there were groups of full siblings, but there were other groups of half siblings. So between obits, death certificates, marriage records, delayed birth certificates, all that. I mean, it took every conceivable record, I think, for the three of us to finally, finally sort through all those kids. That day, that weekend, those three days was the worst three days of my life. When I tell you guys that I had a headache like no other, and I was angry. Um, I went on our family page and I said to the family, after we're done with this, stop sleeping with each other. Like, I just kind of went off. <laughs> I was so angry because that was so oh my god it was it was the like it was the worst it was the worst i i i can't stand that family for that issue <laughs> like it was just it was over the top yeah that was a tough one that was a tough one definitely um we've had a couple tough ones like that um where we've had multiple marriages some case no marriages but we find 12 kids in four or five different last names so yeah it's hard to decipher mm. so i'm going to bring hamad in for a moment but there is something that i wanted to um to again to kind of introduce the topic donia seems to get more of these messages than i think other other researchers in, in our group where people pop up on our DNA match list. We initially don't know how, but then we start putting the pieces of the puzzle together and we work out that it's a non-paternity event. And again, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, maybe they're who they thought was their biological grandfather, great-grandfather, two times great-grandfather. Turns out he's not, he's not. Mm -hmm. Or they find out that they were adopted, um, fully adopted, and they just weren't expecting that in in any way shape or form we initially don't know how i'm sorry and we work out that it's a non-paternity and you might want to speak on this because that has caused issues with um living family members and i guess that the reason why i want to start with that is one because that has caused upset and two, you know, it's made us kind of sort of reevaluate the kind of information that we that we put on put on our trees. Yes, it does. So Hamad, Hamad, now the, the where Hamad comes in, Hamad comes in with the family that I am um, definitely afraid of. I mean, I thought I was afraid of my Yeldale family. Well, I'm not afraid of my Yeldale family. I just don't research. I just don't mess with them anymore. But I am um, definitely afraid of the Settles family. And Hamad comes in with them. Now, why am I afraid of the Settles family? Because you can look at them, do some type of research on them, and then all of a sudden something else changes, and you're looking at them, and it pulls in another family, and then it pulls in another family, and then it pulls... So I just, I don't mess with them. So... Hamad, why don't you talk to us a little bit about them? <laughs> because I don't know nothing about them. <laughs> I can't, yeah, you can have them. It's a, you can't research the settles by yourself. Mm -mm. And I took that from you and, and Brian to get a partner in crime to help <laughs> with the headache. And I poured on Loretta. We, we are late researching them and getting gray hairs together <laughs> because uh, 
they have so many yeah. things in the closet. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about I found I found murders, I found incest, I found my great great grandmother was married but had three kids, none of none of them with her husband. Hmm. So and I'm just now meeting these cousins. So these are the things that it's difficult to deal with with the family. Uh, and I've had family members cut me off, totally cut me off, saying that I'm stirring up problems. And, you know, they would rather go to the grave with these things. And then their children end up getting married to each other because no one ever told them, by the way, that's your cousin or that's your um, half sibling. So to this day, I have cousins who are getting married to each other and are dating each other, and they don't know that they're cousins. Well, again, I mean, because Donnie and I found that when we look for articles on newspapers.com or Chronicling America, and we're seeing people getting married today, or at least starting in the 1970s, maybe, you know, the marriage, the marriage announcements going seriously, your people let you two get married. You're like second cousins. Right. They're <laughs> and, yeah, you're absolutely right. So. so, just to let the group know, Loretta and I are the ones that's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Brian and Hamad <laughs> are the ones that are very conservative. Yeah. about this whole situation and you know but Loretta and I we're like oh, okay it is what it is <laughs> it is what it is and um, well, you know, my view on it is this if you want to know who you are and where you come from and you want to do your ancestry you need to be when you go backwards you need to be going in the right direction so lots of times we are we go in directions or people who not some i mean i i think i could say us i think we are better with our research now we've all found out stuff about our families that we didn't know before some of it unpleasant but my thing is if you're not going backwards in the right direction then you are attaching yourself to history that's not yours that's you're attaching yourself to history that is somebody else's so you go through life claiming or belonging to something that you really don't belong to. And I think in a lot of, lot of cases that's detrimental, especially when you're talking about mental health, when you're talking about your physical health. Um, you know, there's so many things that we carry on genetically that we bring with us and that we will give to our children. But if you're not getting the answers from the right people or from the right line, you're getting misinformation. I think it's important, especially now that we have DNA testing. See, when we guys, when we all started this, it was, we weren't really doing DNA back then, very little. Now that we have the DNA, we have direct lines to go back to a certain place to say that this is your grandmother, this is your grandfather. And even though that person raised you and took care of you or took care of your mother or your mother's mother, that's really not who you come from. So if I can just address what, what Loretta said, because this, this is my genealogy. So my mother and her, her father and his sisters were born in D.C. 
And the family story was that his father was an Irishman. Now, my, you know, my, my, her father was, and his sisters were incredibly fair. Everyone mistook them for a completely different race than, than the one that they were. So, you know, they were, they were apt to believe it. And their last name was Turner. So naturally, I spent over four years researching the Turners of Charles County, Maryland, because that's who I was told our people, my grandfather's people were. Take a DNA test and come, out, come to find out that while there was a little bit of Irish, there was nowhere near the amount of Irish that there should have been if my great-grandfather had been Irish, but there was a Jew, but there was Jewish. So I immediately knew, oh, okay, somehow the story got flipped or switched and this, this Irish man all of a sudden was really a Jewish man. And thankfully, um, because that's really the only significant Jewish that I had, and it was DC, it was pretty easy to work out who on my DNA match list I was related to from that line. So it opened up a really wonderful door to meeting new DNA cousins who I have to say have been amazing. But then they helped me actually identify who this mysterious Jewish great-grandfather was, who was Nathan Cohn. So for my Turner family, that was a mind blower because as Loretta said, your name is the first sense of identity that a human being actually has. That's your tribe, that's who you identify with. So now everyone in my Turner family is scratching their heads going, well, we're actually Cones, but our last name is Turner. It's like, what, what does that mean? How do we process that information? But as I said, um, and come to find out that my great grandmother was actually a maid in Nathan Cones' house and had three children by him, even though she was married to someone else. <laughs> yeah and we all have stories you know like that and you know for me I just recently found out some information that who I thought was an ancestor is not and which interest what is interesting about that the person who I now know is it actually every it just throws so many things into place from my personality to my father's personality yes. and these people that I have met, the traits are all there with yes. this new line that I've found. And, and I think that's important because now I know why I do certain things, why my father did and things of that nature. And, but if I would keep believing on what I was told you know, then I'm, I'm believing basically a lie. And I have the same issues that Hamad has that if this information is ever brought forward, whew, I could be, um, for the lack of a better term, blackballed <laughs> from my family if, if it ever came out, you know, what the truth is, because it's really sensitive information and it gives the perception of something different than what actually was. And people just don't want to deal with that truth. So... Well, you know, the thing is, is that we, we want you guys, as far as the group is concerned, we want you guys to definitely um, chime in. Uh, Jackie has chimed in. She remembers when I kind of snapped on everybody in the Calling All Branches page, and, and she remembers that. I see her message up here. I have to look on the phone. And um, then the thing is, is that we all have... Uh, times like she said we, you know we have to be prepared we all have some things in our backstory that will cause some heartache so we want the group we want everybody who's watching right now to definitely chime in and tell us how you respond how you feel about these stories that are placed on the trees because 
Loretta and I are ones that will will place these stories on the tree. We're gonna place them up there. We're gonna put them up there. And if you ask the question, why is it there? Am I seeing what I'm seeing? Yes, you're seeing what you're seeing. Whereas maybe Brian or or Haman, Haman and Brian are gonna be very careful about yes. how they put it, you know, or, or what they put, or if they're gonna put it at all, because they're still trying to grasp, get some information. Whereas Loretta and I are gonna be like, well, you know what? I'm going to get the info whether you give it to me or not. So if you don't give it to me, somebody else going to give it to me. That's mm -hmm. just where I am at this point. I'm, I'm, well, I'm like that. I'm going to say that I was more like Donia and Loretta up until I had a very specific episode. Researching part of my father's family in with County, Virginia, came across a second cousin who'd been lynched um, 19, about 1920, 1921. This was a man whose lynching was so horrific that the following year, Virginia out, outlawed for the first time lynching, that kind of a thing. So I wrote about it on Genealogy Adventures. There's two or three articles that I've written about Raymond Birds. They're on there. You can read them. Well, I didn't realize when I wrote that, that, that his lynching is still a highly sensitive subject in the town of Whitville, which it happened because he's got this, he has descendants that live there. The families of the people who lynched him still have family that are living there. So the descendants of the people who did the lynching took great exception to what I wrote. I mean, there was like a Twitter war. There was stuff going on about Facebook. But what I wrote was factually true. The whole premise of it, the whole rationale behind how, you know, why he was lynched and all of that. Um, but they took great exception to it. You know, they were threatening legal action to get me to take it down, um, all that kind of stuff. So that was such a bad experience for me that um, it's made me rethink sometimes about, even though what I would, what I'm, would be relaying is true and factual and provable, that it could cause upset for people. And I'm just thinking, do I really have time to be spending a whole day, two days, defending what I've written? And that's what happened with me as well. I had my entire, my family turned on me, cut me off. And it was upsetting because they have information I need. They will not share it with me to this day because I shared some information. And that made me sit back like Brian and say, okay, let me be very careful uh, about what I put on my tree. Um, I'm just now mending fences with this side of the family, just now, after a couple years now and they have information, and now I'm trying to build up trust that they will share this with me. But um, that's what it was traumatic for me, for them to just cut me off like that, mm. not tell me anything. And if I reach someone, they would actually call that person, don't tell him anything. Wow. Yeah, don't tell him. He's going to post it on Facebook. Don't tell him. So that would, that's kind of made me say, okay, let me be very careful because I didn't know something that happened 100 years ago and 50 years ago. They still hold it. It's still a big deal, just like in the case with Brian. They still hold on to that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. why I've just been more careful. Harold, what would you say, Brian? And, yeah, and then we'll get to Harold, because Loretta actually says something really brilliant on Friday. And just reminding all of us that I think people think their ancestors lived these perfect lives. <laughs> they were human beings, just like us. They were motivated by the same. 
drives and desires that we are. So while we may have more technical gadgetry and they couldn't even dream of doing anything like Skyping and Facebooking and, and all the rest of it, their day-to-day -day life, what motivated and drove them, the pressures mm. that they faced, the foibles that they had, actually, that's the stuff that makes them really relatable to me. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the thing is, before I even get to Harold, the thing is, is that these secrets are going to cause so much more damage than than the secret itself. Um, because like I was talking to the producer when we were trying to, you know, get everybody on the screen and I was talking to our, our producer and he asked the question, does, does the, the incest, for example, cause things like mental issues? Now, I'm not anybody's doctor. I need everybody to understand that. But in my opinion, yes, it does. I mean, if you think about it, you're not going to really have a two-headed kid, you know, but can you have a mental problem from mixing those bloods? That makes more sense, in my opinion. That's in my opinion. Let me, let me be clear. That's in my opinion. It makes more sense to have a mental problem when the blood of the same family is being mixed and going down the line, it's going to show up. That's what I believe. That's my thought process. Well, my so other, you, huh? I was going to say the flip side of what you just said is because we, we've spoken about this too. We keep seeing where, where three, or, three or four families keep marrying each other over and over and over and over again. And at first they're having like double digit kids. And then I think Donnie and I both noticed at the same time that by the time they got to about 1910, all of a sudden there's fertility issues. They're either not having any children, they're having children that don't survive, or they're just managing to only have produced out of maybe seven kids, one lives, all the other one dies. That's because of, like I said, endogamy, incest, whatever you want to call it, just happening over and over and over again. Right. So the 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 I don't if I don't know if everybody I know everybody on the, the on the chat doesn't know but for those that that don't know for my family members some of my family members know this but I have something called Chiari malformation. Now my son has this. My I have an autistic son, and he has it as well. But a Chiari malformation is when your brain kind of falls a little past your skull and some and, and in most instances it doesn't bother you but it, if it does then it's the problem and it has a lot to do with the headaches that i suffer now my son it doesn't bother him at all but me i have really 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 bad headaches well come to find out i have a dna cousin who has this same issue and then there's another person who has this same issue we have like three or four dna cousins who have this same issue and according to the one dna cousin that has it really really bad the doctor that she deals with what did he tell her it comes from constant endogamy that's where it comes from and the fact that the four of us are related to each other in multiple ways. In multiple, multiple ways. ways. Yeah. Um, multiple. And again, 
Another example of that one would be my Fugate Clark family coming out of Southwest Virginia. Yes. There were so many first cousin marriages in that family, generation after generation. They inherited and multiplied a recessive gene that turns your skin, your hair, your nails, your tongue, pretty much everything blue. Mm-hmm. Not a little blue, blue. Yeah, and I have that, and I have that malformation, unfortunately, because that happened right before my enslaved four times great grandmother was born. So, she got it. She got that gene. Um, and again, that tree is a bit dicey because there is proper incest in there as well. You know, aunts having children with their nephews, uncles having children with their nieces, and all kinds of fun stuff. But between that and between Edgefield, one of the things you also have to consider about all of this is it can really mess up a DNA testing service. And I'm just going to stick with Ancestry, but this is true for 23andMe, MyHeritage, all of them. Edgefield broke Ancestry, as far as I'm concerned, because so many of us are related in so many different ways, seven, eight, nine, ten different ways. Yeah that it really, really struggles when it comes, so it can identify your DNA cousins, but it really struggles on trying to understand many multiple lines you actually connect through. Yeah, I can click on a name sometime that a relationship is easy to me, like I don't have to go back that far to figure out who it is, but if Ancestry does it, it's like 10 pages long on it's, the first cousin, fifth time, once removed, ex, whatever, whatever. And I'm just like, really? And that's how many t- <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, I only had to go back two generations. But for whatever reasons, like Brian said, there are so many multiple ways that people can be related that when you click on a particular name and ancestry, it's literally confused. I think on what it should bring up when you look at the top of the screen. And it looks like, you know, how you're trying to figure out how this one is related to you and it gives you this long line that you're reading and I'm tilting my head sideways like there are so many more that's so more obvious than that that why is ancestry taking the long way there's a more obvious relationship and I think that's because of the multiple mm-hmm. DNA mm-hmm. matches that ancestry just don't know what to do right because again with our family if you hit the right line they could be connected through to us through the Settles, the Holloways, the Williams, the Petersons, or the Higgins, because those families married each other like crazy. Uh, yeah. You're not allowed to say Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we live in a premise, right, that we believe in it. And Don just said this one time, Brian too, and I concur, that we, Edgefield, everyone in Edgefield is related somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I already no, said there needs to be a sign. There's no doubt about that. There needs to be a sign. I don't care which way you enter into Edgefield if you're driving. Whatever way you enter into the city, once you cross into lines, it needs to say Edgefield County where everybody is related. Seriously. <laughs> yes, it's true. Because <laughs> I've tested it on the streets. I've been in Edgefield, going up to someone in front of my kids and wife and say, hey, how you doing? What's your name? And, and they named a name. I said, oh, are you related to these people? never fails irregardless of color yeah. Yeah. don't think color like well that's the black side and we're the white side no 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 yeah. <laughs> does not matter no. So, so sorry 
So sorry, Johnny, you were going to read something that um Harold, a comment. Yes. Yeah, so it's actually a lot of people kind of chimed in when we were talking about um different stories on you know what we should keep. And Harold said, I agree with you, Danya, but I found my NPR line. I do, but do I get a whole family line? hate me and want to kill me and that's kind of crazy Harold <laughs> you might want to stay away from them if they want to do that and then job, Linda says she's not keeping any secrets I'm, I'm loving Alinda she says she's not keeping any secrets or lies still keep, she's still recuperating from a major lie that was told and now she's not keeping nothing and she said they don't want it told don't tell her um, no, I won't tell stuff. It's just don't come and ask me. But um, Hassani said, and Hassani and I are related, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Hassani said he found out that his mom, his mom, he said my mom's dad's maternal side is related to his paternal side, and almost every branch there connects to every other branch. It gets super confusing, for instance. It gets super confusing, for instance. My grand, my granddad's mom is listed as his great-grandmother's niece in the 1900 census. There's evidence genetically of this also. So he probably, yeah, that's probably, that sounds like Edgefield to me. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, actually, because one story that I have, and again, it's one of my oldest and dearest friends in England, her boyfriend at the time grew up thinking that the woman who was his mother was actually his grandmother. And the girl that he grew up thinking was his older sister was actually his mother. His mother. And he didn't find that out until he was 33 years old, and to say that that messed him up is an understatement. You know what? You, I think that one particular story, Brian, of all the stories that we've come across, I think that one is the most common, where you have a young lady who had a child, um, and the child is raised as either her cousin or her sibling. I think mm -hmm. I think we run across that more probably than any other story, at least for me anyway. Mm. Yeah, no, we have come across that quite a, quite a few times. Quite a few times, yeah. I, I think it's, like I said, the most I've ever seen of any other type of situation. That one seems to occur a lot. It makes sense that it happens. I don't necessarily like the logic of not telling the truth, but I understand if 13-year-old girl gets pregnant, she's too young to raise the child. I get it. Mom takes care of the child. But at some point in time, 33 years old is too late for that child to be finding out that the person who you thought was your sister is your mama. I think yeah. that's too late. But that's something that is told in, in, in um, stories. You know, I mean, th those are TV shows. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you see TV shows like that, and um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I become desensitized. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're used to it. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we are. This group. Every once in a while, I'll just kind of roll my eyes and lift my head heavenward because I'll just find something crazy. 
like I mean, I've shared with you with you guys again. This is my White Lee family in Westmoreland, Virginia. Man's wife dies. Who does he marry? His mother-in-law. So he has kids with his wife. He has kids with his mother-in-law, who is now his wife. So he's got two sets of kids who are both half siblings. But one of those half, but one set of those half siblings are also the other one's aunts and uncles. I mean, ha- I did. I just had to roll my eyes. Okay, then. I mean, tell you, I'm, 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 I'm everything that we're talking about. It's gonna be on my tree. I'm gonna be very I'm, <laughs> every last bit, every last bit of it. It's gonna be on my tree. Every last bit of it. And I'm gonna tell you why. And this may sound harsh, but it's gonna be on my tree because my family don't care. They don't look at my tree. And and I'm talking and the only people that do look at my tree is my DNA family. Is the family that I'm finding because those are the ones that do care and those are the ones that want to know. So because they want to know, they want to know who is related to who. And they're not going to be they're not going to be angry at what they find because they were already ready to accept whatever it is that they were going to find. They were already there. So the people that's looking at this are the people that are doing the work. Genealogy is not something that everybody is going to get into. It's just not there. Because me, when we were all talking, discussing this before, and this is what I said we were going to, I was going to say then, you're either going to say, when you find that cousin so-and-so married cousin so-and-so, your reaction is either going to be one of two things. Oh, Lord, let me look into this. Oh, or, oh, Lord, I'll shut this down. I'm not, I'm done. Never mind. I'm not going to do that. Nope, I'm not opening this up. Because I've seen it. I had a cousin that did that. He was, he, he was like, every time we turned around, we kept coming back to these same two people. So we shut it down. They weren't doing it. They were like, I'm not, I'm not going to look at it. Now, see, I'm telling you this story, but I ain't gave you no names. I'm not telling you which family it is, but I'm telling you this story because it's, it's, it's what happened. I mean, I can tell the story, but a lot of sometimes I prefer not to give the name. And the example that I gave you guys on Friday was the difference between Louisa Hammond and a 15 or 16-year-old enslaved boy in Edgefield. Okay. So Louisa, for those who don't know, Louisa Hammond, um, at the age of 12, started being passed back and forth between her enslaver and his eldest son, the Hammond family. Oh. So she was a mother by the, by the age of 13. And at first I thought, mm, I don't really know if I want to actually put this on the tree or I don't know how I want to put this on the tree. But then I'd seen that a lot had been written about James Henry Hammond, the kind of sexual predator he was, that it was kind of known even within his lifetime. And I'm like, well, if the story's already out there, if it's already in history, there's nothing that I can say or do that's going to make it any worse than it already is. Plus, you know, Louisa had a long life. She had a lot of kids. You know, she raised them. She was there for her grandkids. So she had a full life story. There was more to her story than being 
sexually abused at the age of 12 and 13. Whereas the enslaved boy, unfortunately, he was raped, took him three days to die. It was horrific to the point where the whole plantation was on lockdown because the enslavers were afraid that there was going to be a rebellion. And um, I won't say his name and I won't put the story on his page because he died so young. And even when that's 16 years, that is the only story that I know about him. That's the only one. And I don't want him to get tagged with that. I don't want that to be the, the his defining characteristic. See, but I said to you then, Brian, and, and, and I'm not asking you to tell me his name, but I feel like his name needs to be called because this the only way that this guy is gonna be remembered because his story was so horrific. It's not about, at this point, it's it's not about remembering him in a bad way, but remembering him to make sure that, some, that his story, it's like when a person nowadays is raped. You know, you talk about rape victims and, and they have such a, a, a bad rape that you want to get their story out there. That's their me too story, you know, or whatever the case may be. And you tell their story and, and, and now that their story is out, that kind of thing is not going to happen anymore or whatever the case may be. He, he needs to be remembered. He doesn't need to go down in history, not being known because somebody did something so horrific to him. And that's, that's all he knows. Well, I he guess needs, to, he needs to feel that love even in death. He needs to feel mm -hmm. that love, and nobody can love him because of what I am. But you see, that naturally, I, I would be inclined to agree with you. But then I was thinking about, I think her name was Christine Basie Ford, the woman who got called to testify when Kavanaugh was being vetted for the Supreme Court. There was there was the woman who went to the party. There was drink involved, and something happened. Mm -hmm. And she will forever be known as the girl who was at the party where something may or may not have happened, who had to testify in front of the world at a Supreme Court judicial hearing. It's like she will never have another story apart from that story. And I guess that's where I'm coming from with this with this lad. Yeah, but after you will, I'm gonna say this. The group are saying, they agree with what I'm saying. Jackie Brown says his story needs to be recorded somewhere. Dr. Skip Mason says it's like the names of the lynching victims hanging in memorial in Montgomery. And Harold Locke says he was murdered. And that's what it was. He was murdered. Mm -hmm. Point blank. Yeah. He was murdered. And his story is something totally different. It's not even about him. And it's not about him being raped. He was murdered. And his story should be told, but it's it's solely it's solely up to you, you know, as to what you're what you decide to do with that. But again, like I said, I would tell his story from the highest mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I would shout it. <laughs> I would shout it <laughs> because yeah, he, you know, I would shout it because he deserves it. He personally yeah. deserves it. You know, especially in the manner in which he died. And usually when you hear stuff like that, it's usually about girls. 
Yeah, and his was a, yes, yes. And this was a boy who died like this. This was a young man who died like this. That, you know, that lets them know it's not just a female thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and somebody else responded and said, me too. That was his me too moment. Mm. But, you know, yeah. I challenged, you know, as a working practicing professional, I I challenge myself on on this all the time. So I mean, it's it's good getting everyone in, everyone's feedback because I want to be consistent in how I approach stuff like this. So, for instance, when it comes to Stuart Sheffy, a bigamist in Whip County, he had a white wife and a black wife. How he managed that, I don't know, but he did. Um, because he was so blatant about it, he didn't hide it. He was right up in people's faces about it. I had no problems writing about that whatsoever because he didn't have an issue with it. He didn't care what he, his letter to the Freedom Bureau about a neighbor's complaint that he was shacked up with two women and having both babies by both of them. Wow. He didn't care. Hmm. He, that man did not care. He didn't care. Now, Sharon Bruno says, who owns a story? Is it really our story to tell? I, I want her to elaborate on that because I don't know which way she's going when yes. she says that. What's the position on family backlash? Bringing something up that could divide a family, something that's very hurtful. Like I did research. I found my father in 2017. Mm-hmm. I did reach and I found a murder in my family. And some of the people that were around at the time were still living. I was told to bury the story. What would you get? Would you have blasted that? Would I have blasted that I found my father? No, the story of the murder in the family. Well, actually, that's a good question for Donnie because Donnie has just found a really, really eye-opening story about a family murder. So that you get that twice. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. Whoa. I sure did. I found a, I found out that uh, somebody in our family killed his own son-in-law. Sure did. And it's on my tree. Got the got the got the uh, got the. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I wasn't the first person to tell the story. The newspaper was. So who's wrong? How about that? And if it's a murder, it's already in the paper. So are you really telling the story? Or did somebody tell it before you? So Hamad, Hamad, with your example, was that something that you found in a newspaper? Or was that something that someone told you in, in confidence? No one told me. I was doing research and I found a death certificate of an unknown sibling and I'm like, who's this sibling? It has the same mother and father as this guy. And I looked and it says he was murdered. I did research and it said his sister mar- murdered him. Oh. So oh. one of the siblings was still living. So I called her up and asked her. And she said, oh, my God, you found that? Bury that. Because half the family doesn't know about it. I know about it because I was there. Bury it, please. Well, in that one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Donya. If it's a newspaper, it's in the public, it's in the public domain. It's yeah, they were hoping so that the passage of time would... that's already public. That like that doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah, because it's not like you found it was already there, whether you would have found it or not. It's 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 a known situation. Right. That that don't that doesn't that like that doesn't even make sense to me because if you found it, then somebody else is going to find it. Point blank. 
like now, that's that. Now, what she what she's probably saying is for you not to put it on your tree. Maybe she doesn't want it that part on the tree because if somebody else reads it, then or sees it, then it could be questioned or brought up or something. But I don't know. That's I. I kind of I'm I'm with Donya on this one. This is this was already documented. It's already done. And most of the thing that's just it. Most, most things that we find, we're looking at anything that is fifty to a hundred plus years old. It's already documented. It's mm-hmm. already found. So how are we re? How are we telling a story? How are we telling something that hasn't already been told? They say now, opening up old scabs. Yeah. Okay, but it's still something that has already been told. So if it's a scab that's old, most of the times the people that has this 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 scab, they probably dead too. But again, I'm not trying to sound insensitive. And I know that, that what I just said wasn't sensitive, so I apologize. But in the same instance, it's truth. And and it's still there. Now, Sharon responded. She said, I do not believe that it is my story to tell in such detail. Would you tell the same story if the person was alive today? The thing is, if the person, in my opinion, with the story that Brian was talking about, if the person was alive today, I wouldn't have to tell the story because with the story being that horrific, it was going to be told by the media anyway. It was going to be out, so it wouldn't be my story. Is it the media story to tell? They're going to find out, and they're going to do it. It's going to get done. And this is why the, oops, this is why the media gets such issues that go on, but that the story still gets told. And when the story gets told, then the person that did the, act, the action is the one that's going to have the problem. They're supposed to, well, they're supposed to have the problem. They go to jail. They get whatever it is that they're supposed to get. But we're talking about genealogy. We're talking about stuff that happened 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 75 years ago. We're talking about things that are in the newspaper. They're old, and we're trying to connect to our family because all of these things that connect to our family, tells us who we are today and why we the way we do. There's mm-hmm. a, it's a piece of us in every bit of this stuff that we find every single time. Whether we like it or not. And picking up on that point, as I shared with you guys on Friday, there were a, you know there were siblings of ancestors who just seemed to drop off the face of the earth. Um, about 1880, 1890, 1900, couldn't find them. I don't know what made me try to find um, internments into mental institutions in South Carolina. But whatever prompted me to do that, thank God it did, because I started finding some of them in institutions. And and I'm still kind of, I'm not struggling, but I'm thinking, trying to think of the most respectful, I've, I've added the records. So the records are attached to the individuals in my tree. Sometimes I would normally like put a little note next, you know, next on their page or, or next to their name. Not doing it with this lot because I I really don't know how their more immediate family members would feel about. Oh, well, we had three people from our family locked up in um you know Richland, 
for mental for mental health issues. Yeah. Well, you know, back then you have to think, you have to realize too, they didn't have a lot of options then, in order, but you know, to put someone away if they couldn't be handled. Now, people with depression and all type of of mental issues can be at home and can be around their families and and take medication and go to therapy. So. You know, I don't have a problem with putting that information up there because it's just a different time. There just weren't a lot of options then. Families didn't know how to deal with that type of situation, so they weren't left with options. Things are different now, so people should be able to understand that that's just a person had to be put away because, you know, you didn't know how to deal with them. So Mm -hmm. things are different now. Or, you know, and this is probably something that I don't know if Missy Price is watching, but if she is, she'll, she'll find this really interesting. One of the cousins that I found who'd been institutionalized, she was institutionalized because her husband said she was frigid. Oh, wow. Okay. I guess she didn't like him. She didn't want to have sex. He got a bit frustrated. So he literally had her locked up and declared insane. Well, that's just wrong. That's just the power of men. In a certain time where they where they ruled everything, so unfortunately she, but most cases aren't like that. Yeah. Most cases, I mean, they, I, they have mental issues. I mean, I kind of feel for because bless her heart, you know, she had nine kids and she's probably thinking, I seriously do not want to have another child ever. That's it. You got nine, be happy with that. And what I guess some mental issues because you have to realize too, a lot of those people they may have not had mental issues. Um, just like things are misdiagnosed now, mm-hmm. things were probably misdiagnosed then Yeah. as well. They weren't crazy. They weren't out of their mind. Right. You know, that there was nothing wrong with them. That, you know, just, you know, took things into their own hands and made certain decisions that they really didn't have a right to make. So, you know, when it comes to mental health, and if there is an issue, I think it should be posted because mental health is definitely any good psychiatrist will tell you it is something that is passed along yes. from generation to generation to generation. So if you got little Sally right now who's eight years old and you're seeing an issue in her and you can trace it back to so and so, you know, there's a clear path there. Definitely post it. Well, that's true, because if I had known about Edgefield when I was a teenager, because I've done a lot of work on my anger management issues. I really, really have. Um, <laughs> and I didn't realize that I had anger management issues largely because of what I inherited from Edgefield, that little powder keg of <laughs> emotions. <laughs> Is it five o'clock already? This yeah. hour has flown. But I think we have, a, I was just getting ready to ask Sophie, but how much more time do we have? Because we did start a little late. Five more minutes, guys. Huh? Just five more minutes. Okay. Yes. I just looked at the. I couldn't believe that it's the time it is. Yeah. So okay. So Sharon Bruno, she responded. She said, as a genealogist, and I don't want to skip over anybody, but she has really piqued my interest. And she said, as a genealogist, I'm sensitive because it means more to me to get information from family members than risking having them shut me out and be viewed as untrustworthy. I need those doors to remain remain open and I don't want to risk hurting people. I thought of you, Hamad, reading that. And and don't get me wrong, and I hope she's not mad at me, Um, but 
I'm I'm trying to stay trustworthy as well, but I still feel also as a genealogist that we are bound to truth. And the bottom line is, is that we do need to tell the truth. And um, there there is truth. And I think we are probably the most we're the ones that know. We we know. Like I think Hassani said in here that he knows far more than his family knows he knows. And that's the same thing with my family. I know a lot more. I know a lot more mm-hmm. <laughs> than they think I know. Mm-hmm. But I haven't said anything. And I won't and I'm and I'm not going to. Just like in my book, I think a lot of them think I told a lot of stuff in the book when in actuality, I have not mentioned a word in my book about my personal family. My book is about my journey in researching. That's totally different than what any secrets that we have in the family. Let me be clear. My whole reasoning for researching is to make sure we do not marry each other. That's my reason. I just want to say with the DNA, especially now with everybody doing DNA, what's the point of doing the DNA if you're not going to reveal or do the truth? That's what the DNA is for. It's Mm -hmm. that's what it's there for. You know, you have these stories and, you know, fiction and stuff that's perpetuated generation after generation after generation now the dna is telling you that those stories are not true and that this is what the truth is so if you're not follow the dna then don't do your dna because you can't ignore what you can't ignore what dna produces it gives you the truth it doesn't lie dna doesn't lie dna doesn't lie which unfortunately we haven't had time enough for me to dig into something else i want we're going to get you guys back because I we wanted to talk about this. Is, this the, is a two part show. Because one of the biggest secrets that we have in our family is the fact that we're related to white people, white people related to us. And we know that there that there are African-American researchers who don't want to put their white family lines on their tree and vice versa. There are white genealogists who don't want to see black people on their tree. But that's a topic for another show. So Brian. So, Brian, why don't we do make this a two-part show and we pick up on this tomorrow? Come on. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, um, not tomorrow, next Sunday. Next hi, Sunday. Hi, Ben. Hey, Ben, how you doing? Come on, say hi to Ben. Hey, Ben, what's up, cousin? Hey, man, how you doing? Good, good. All right, get out. All right, well, <laughs> we are coming up to the end of our show. Um. So yeah, if you guys if you guys are free next Sunday, let's come back and let's talk about the whole you know putting different people of a different ethnicity than you're expecting on your family tree. Are you guys free next weekend? I would love, love it. Would love it. As, as long as we have COVID, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. So right, you guys know what we're talking about next week. For then, until then, I am Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. This was great. And I'm so glad to see everybody. Sharon, please come back. Don't get mad at me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, she said guys. she wasn't mad at me. <laughs>
Enjoy your Sundays. All right, goodbye. Take care. Nice seeing you. Take care. Listen, vision, listen, vision, Number one recording studio. Listen, vision. DC's number one recording studio. Oh.
Welcome to Art Love Fashion. I'm your host, Sharonda Irvin. I'm an image consultant, professional developer, art curator, 